Alrighty, hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast, aka the Sicky podcast. <laughs> but really. Sarcy and I are both sick today. Ugh, it's not yeah. COVID though, thank goodness. Just a little yeah. just a little cold on my part, but my voice is a little bit extra deep. Mine is allergies and it's I don't know why. I don't because it's usually like this is how I usually get if I've been around somebody that smokes cigarettes, Ooh. but I haven't been around anybody that smokes cigarettes, so I don't know what icky it is. But it, yeah, it feels like allergies, and my voice is also like scratchy and yeah, gross. And I have a cough drop. So. Yeah, so excuse us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it's funny because everybody always like if you're anywhere out in public, and of course I'm wearing a mask because there's some stuff that I have to do that I can't necessarily avoid. Yeah. Otherwise, I try to stay home as much as possible. But if you so much as do one sneeze or one cough in front of anyone else, you get the dirtiest looks now because everyone thinks you have COVID. And it's yeah, like, I was super paranoid. Like, if no. I have to, like, just like you choke in a little bit and you cough, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, no, it's, I'm just cough. It's fine. I'm not like. I'm not yeah. sick. I don't have COVID. People settle yeah. down. There are other illnesses that still are around. It's kind of funny how everyone just assumes COVID is it now and the flu is gone. Colds are gone. It's only COVID. I mean, it's that's because that's what it feels like in the news. Well, people are terrified. So I get it. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, you know, I just have a cold. I don't have a fever. I don't have body right. chills. I don't have body aches. I don't have any of that other stuff. So yeah, I'm not worried. But anyway, um, speaking of COVID, did you hear about this? Massachusetts becomes the first U.S. state to enlist COVID sniffing canines. No. Interesting. So Duke and Hunter are the first dogs used by law enforcement to detect coronavirus cases. We used to have a dog named Duke. Yeah, it's a good dog name, right? Mm-hmm. But with dogs have a sense of smell up to 100,000 times more acute than humans, and they can be taught to sniff out just about anything, including cancer and even electronics. Mm-hmm. But tail-wagging police dogs are trained to detect drugs, firearms, missing people, and now COVID-19. Wow. Two canines in Massachusetts are the first to be used by law enforcement to sniff the virus. They're employed by the Bristol County Sheriff's Office, and they've been trained to distinguish the unique odor of COVID-19 on personal protective equipment, clothing, and other surfaces. And the dogs can detect the COVID odor on a counter or a table if it is recently touched by a COVID-positive individual, or even detect the odor on a tissue used by someone with COVID. So these little guys are trained at a detection program developed by Florida International University's International Forensic Research Institute. That's quite a mouthful, huh? Ooh, yeah. But Duke and Hunter, Bostonese for Hunter, recently participated in a graduation (laughs) ceremony held by the Bristol County Sheriff's Office. This is science. The program was developed by professors, doctors, and scientists at FIU, and they couldn't be more proud or excited to execute it there in Bristol County. Born two weeks apart, the nine-month-old dogs are step-siblings who share the same father. Duke is a male golden lab retriever mix and is paired with police officer Theodore Santos, while Hunta is a female black lab, and she works with Douglas. In the you got to say it with a Boston accent, Hunta. I don't care about that. Um, in training the canines, FIU used medical masks worn by COVID-positive patients, and ultraviolet rays were used to kill the contagions without harming the odor thus making them safe oh, as training tools for the dogs, right? In the months to come, the law enforcement pooches will be taught to also detect missing people. Um, officers hope to get more masks worn by COVID patients from the New Bedford Fire Department and local EMS providers for future training aids. 
These dogs are used to detect the virus upon request at schools, town meetings, nonprofits, nursing homes, councils on aging, public safety facilities, medical facilities, and other sites in Bristol County. The sheriff's office advises that its COVID-19 detection program, which can identify the Delta variant, is not a substitute mm. for the medical test. It's just another way to help identify individuals who may be exposing the virus, mm. um, who, may, who may have been exposed to the virus, sorry. Um, it's the best. It's best to think of it as a decontamination tool. So interesting, right? Very interesting. I wonder, like, how early the, if they can detect it earlier than like if you start before you start showing symptoms or whatever. I don't know, but it's just it's it's pretty fascinating. I just yeah. My concern is that I think I would be terrified if a dog came up to me and the police had to stop me, and I would <laughs> yeah. you know because. Typically, you think of these dogs as drug sniffer dogs, right? Right. So I would right. be like, oh my God, did I think I have drugs? I would probably yeah. be pretty terrified if one of those dogs stopped me. You know, and yeah. what if Maybe you did Maybe they have like a special little vest. I don't know. But what if you didn't know you had it? And like, that's got to be a little bit scary, right? If you're... Well, I think that, that may be also why they like to use like golden retrievers for that kind of thing. Because they're more... Because that's a lot better than... <laughs> seeing a German Shepherd yeah, do it. a little bit. Like, I love German Shepherds, and I love, like, the quote-unquote, like, aggressive whatever breed. I love working dog breeds. Yeah. But, um, but like, yeah, I mean, it would it would kind of throw you off, like, a German Shepherd or a Doberman. A little bit. Like, I think sniffing just Sniffing you and then just lay down. Just because of yeah. the perception of what the dogs are used for, like I said earlier. Like, right. I would just be scared that it was, like, drug-related. <laughs> Somebody stuffed some cocaine into my bag Planted or something. Planted something on you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I have one more article that I thought was also fascinating in a kind of a similar vein. Customs and Border Protection found over a dozen giant African land snails in a passenger's luggage. I don't know if you saw I'm this. Sorry? They found huge land snails. They're like the size of a human land fist. Snails? Land yeah, snails. So U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agents seized more than a dozen live giant African land snails from a traveler at a Texas airport. What? 15 of the snails, the... which can grow to be the size of rats and can cause rare forms of meningitis in humans, were discovered inside a woman's luggage in early July. Officials said the passenger with the snails was traveling from Nigeria and initially only declared dried beef, but later changed her declaration to include the live snails, which I wonder if she knew that they weren't allowed or like, it just doesn't seem like something that would be super obvious to me, but these snails... Inside this woman's no, luggage, the agents found three plastic zip-closed bags containing the snails along with fresh leaves and about a quarter pound of beef. I wonder if the beef was to feed the snails, and if the snails are eating the beef, that's terrifying, right? I don't think snails eat meat. I thought they were, like, herbivores. The snails, also known as banana rasp snails, are potentially serious threats to invasive species that could, as an invasive species that could negatively affect agriculture natural ecosystems, human health, or commerce. The creatures are native to West Africa and were ultimately turned over to the U.S. Department of Agriculture for final disposition. But according to the CBP, banana rasp snails are a vector for... It's something known as rat lungworm, a parasitic nematode worm, that is, capable of causing rare forms of meningitis in humans. So they're dangerous. Oh, apparently also snails are omnivores like they eat everything isn't that crazy so she had the leaves and the beef and it's like yeah. here eat some beef giant snails there's no way she didn't know like that you have to declare that you can't bring anything live from another country like 
without declaring it. Well, and what would you bring them here for? I'm just kind of confused. Like, do you think because people would buy them or are they a delicacy? I no like, idea. I just want to know what they're for. I bet there's someone somewhere that would buy them. For I mean, what, just, though? For what purpose? Just to keep them in an aquarium? Or, like, what, what are they used know. for? Do they use I them for, like, used for anything. ancient herbal remedies? Like, I can see something like that. I mean, she's from West Africa. Maybe there's some kind of interesting, like, herbal remedy from a... Was she from West Africa, or she was just traveling, traveling from, from there? So they didn't say where she was from specifically, right. but she was traveling from there. And I can see maybe, like, a medicinal cure using them for something like that, perhaps. But maybe. I don't know. I feel like that's giving a lot of credit. Can you imagine we don't really if you have just any further information? Saw one of them and it was like no. crawling on the carpet of your living room. Absolutely not. How freaking scary that would be. Absolutely not. I mean, they're moving slow, so it's not like they're gonna attack you. Yeah, but the fact that I just like this moment learned that large snails exist. So like, if I saw one, I'd be like, "What in that?" Like, I would think that it had been like in a nuclear accident. It's on steroids. Yeah. Like, I would not know what to do. Yeah, no. They're very, very interesting-looking creatures, for sure. I mean, you wouldn't guess they were that big by just looking at the pictures, but to have it be the size of a fist or, like, a, mm -mm. a rat <laughs> seems mm -mm. terrifying. So mm -mm. Absolutely not. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> good stuff for the day. Yeah. Um, I have a really interesting case today, and I, I'm pretty sure you probably never heard this one, which is okay. a doozy. This is the case of Maribel Ramos. Okay. So Maribel Ramos was born in the mid-70s, November 22nd, 1976, to be precise. She was around my age. Um, she was born um, in Mexico and was raised in Orange County, California. Her family brought her there to make a better life, which is, I think, as many families do in Southern California. Mm -hmm. And... Um, in sharp contrast to the uber-rich housewives of the OC, who made everyone think that OC was rich and glamorous and a bunch of white women, Maribel grew up in Santa Ana. So as, yeah, as like, you know, Santa Ana's in the shadow like, of Disneyland. Right, yeah, like OC is like, the things that you see on TV, that's like Newport Beach. That's not like, real all OC. It, that's it. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's not... There are working-class neighborhoods. Most of Orange County is not. Yeah. yeah. There are working-class neighborhoods where there are lower and middle-class individuals just, you know, doing their thing, not living uber-rich lifestyles, but just, you know, surviving, working, being normal people. Yeah. I really like Orange County. But in this particular area, which has a lot of people that work at Disneyland, it's mostly working-class and uh, Maribel Ramos's family settles in there when she's just a baby. And mm -hmm. her family was hardworking. And everyone described Maribel as a hardworking, intelligent, and strong young woman. She was kind of a tomboy, which, you know, as myself, I, growing up, I can Same. completely identify with this, this woman. But um, <clears throat> she definitely had a spark for life and was very outgoing. She had just kind of this really cool personality. And she instinctively kind of knew that if she worked hard and did well in school and did the things that she needed to do, that she could move up in the world, which I, I can so identify with this woman's beginnings and her story because I felt exactly the same way um, when I was growing up. After graduating from high school, Maribel worked as a security guard at a local department store, and this was going to enable her to achieve her dream of becoming a police officer. So it's kind of one of her first steps in that process. 
And knowing that college was expensive, Maribel joined the army so she could get the GI Bill. Which, you know, smart move. My, fam my brothers and my sister both did that as well and got their education from it. So um, her first day was 8-8-2001. As you know, um, that's kind of an auspicious time in history. Um, September 11th kind of changed everything for a lot of people and she felt very strongly that you know it was her duty to serve her country and she was kind of killing multiple birds with one stone she was getting the money for her education she was serving her country she was doing something noble she was you know making a difference in the world so kudos to her okay yeah um Although September 11th did change a lot of things for a lot of people, Maribel took it all in stride. Nice. She was sent to Iraq. Yeah. Almost immediately when September 11th happened. So um, her family was afraid, um, but they were proud at the same time. But Maribel was kind of a badass. She jumped out of airplanes, she manned guns for armed mm. convoys, and she made sergeant pretty rapidly. So she was this incredibly mm. strong brave like just wow. awesome woman it's pretty amazing yeah. that she had the opportunity to do what she did but especially back in 2001 when we weren't really opening up the combat roles to women yet so in 2009 maribel left the army behind after completing two tours of iraq and i believe she had hit eight years under her belt at that point so she had two um enlisting periods she then got herself into part two of her plan for her life by enrolling in college. And I believe she was at Cal State Fullerton. Okay. This is not to say that everything was super easy for Maribel. She was diagnosed with PTSD, which is a pretty common ailment for veterans returning during this time yeah. period and a lot of time periods in particular. Um, but Maribel did a lot mm -hmm. to try to cope with that. She got services from the VA and her family was super close and supportive of her. And she was very close with her niece, Giselle. Um, she'd taken kind of a special interest in this young woman and helping her. And she also got a dog and she rented a nice little two bedroom apartment in Orange, the city of Orange. Oh yeah. Orange is cute. Which is kind of a cute little bedroom community. But to make ends meet, she also got a roommate and his name was Casey Joy. And he's a quiet chemist, and he seemed to fit perfectly into her little family. He was a little bit older, like in his 50s, but he had a dog too, and he was super chill, had a decent job, so like they seemed to get along really well. Mm -hmm. By mid-2013, Maribel was finishing her degree in criminal justice at Cal State Fullerton, and everything seemed to be going well. Graduation was coming fast, and May 2nd, 2013, Maribel is seen on security footage dropping off her rent check for her apartment, and then she vanishes without a trace. It's about 10 a.m. the next morning when Casey, Maribel's roommate, texts her sister Lucy to report that Maribel had not come home the previous night, which was very mm -hmm. unusual. Um, and knowing his roommate for over a year now, Casey was concerned and had already called the police to make a missing persons report. Okay. So he's doing all the right things and the family was not immediately concerned. Um, the one sister texted Maribel and got no response. And like I said, they weren't all that concerned because she was kind of this combat hardened woman who could take care of business, you know? Sure. So they were like, oh, she can take care of herself. Something probably just happened, she'll be fine. Um, she was tough, and they all knew she could take care of herself, so they kind of just were like, well, wait, she'll, she'll turn up. But then she didn't show up to her softball game the next night either, 
and she loved to play softball and never missed a game. And it's kind of like you and me, how we feel about volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> if you know we're missing volleyball, something it's very serious very, is wrong. It's right? a big deal, yeah. Um, so the family then goes to Maribel's house to find the police. And there's no Maribel, but there's police tape and they're investigating the scene. So normally incredibly responsible to the extreme, Maribel's disappearance has now deeply concerned everybody who knows her. Because she has this kind of overnight bag that she keeps with her anytime she's going to leave. And that's still there, her toothbrush. Mm. Her purse and her keys and her phone are gone. But everything else that she would need to stay away from the house for any period of time is gone. Or, so excuse by all me, indications. It's still there. So by all indications, like... This they, is not like a planned trip. No. This yeah. is very unusual. And her car is home, but her keys and phone were missing. So that's unusual as well. Huh. And she'd left her dog, so they just oh. don't think she left with any intent to be gone yeah. for any long period of time, right? I think any, like, pet owner knows, like, if I leave my dog, like, that's something some has gone stuff. horribly wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah. Be concerned if that's yeah, the case, right? very much so. So... I think this also makes people concerned as well at this time period because we all know that the cases of missing adults, particularly women of color, don't get much media coverage. Mm -hmm. And so her family is immediately concerned that, number one, she's not going to get the same coverage as a pretty little blonde-haired, blue-eyed white girl. And number two, she's an adult, and Mm -hmm. adults tend to get less coverage as well than children who are missing. So they start to think about strategies because they know this is going to be an uphill battle. And her sister, I believe, immediately posts some stuff on Facebook and is like trying to put it out there on social media. Have you seen her? You know, if you have, let us know. They're they're putting her picture up. They're canvassing the neighborhood. They're looking. They're doing everything they can and everything they should be doing, including regularly checking in with the police to make sure their case is getting coverage. Yeah. Because we all know the more you bang on the door of the police, the more likely it is they're going to work on your case. Because if you're calling that office every day, they're going to be like, we want to get these people off our plate. So we're going to yeah, well, take you're care also of just, You're also just present in their minds. More. Yeah. So they're like passing out flyers. Um, they're getting involved. Everyone's trying to find Maribel. And they're keeping her name in the news. The family's doing interviews. Um, the only security footage that they have is the one that I mentioned earlier, and it's from about 8, 18 p.m. the previous evening, where she'd been seen paying her rent at the apartment office. Um, this is kind of unusual because usually there's like a ton of security cameras at most places now, and that was yeah. the only security footage they could find of her. Huh. And also, as we know, the longer a person is gone, the less likely it is that they're alive. So police need to start looking for her immediately and they go straight to her inner circle for clues and fast right so police immediately start looking at her current and old boyfriends and a few other people that are in her life she had been online dating like many other women of our generation i Mm -hmm. think it's a pretty common thing now and she was on plenty of fish okay so this is kind of like a little bit of a red flag um We know from previous cases like Johnny Altinger and Ingrid Lynn, which are two cases that we talked about earlier where they were murdered by somebody that Mm -hmm. they contacted on Plenty of Fish. So I think that there was a little bit of concern there. But in this area of Orange, the police don't typically investigate much violent crime. There's just not a lot there. So I think they're thinking, okay, we're in Orange. How bad could it possibly be? Maybe she just, you know 
stepped out for a second. I don't know. So evidently Maribel had been dating a man named Paul Lopez for a while. And okay. police investigate him and they interview him and they clear him almost immediately. He has an alibi. He seems like pretty stand up. Then they interview a photographer she had connected with. And they interview her ex-boyfriend, as well as a guy from Cal State Fullerton Veterans Association that she was kind of creeped out by. They interview okay. all these guys and clear them. Then police discover a 911 call that Maribel had made a week before she disappeared. Whoa. And this is kind of interesting, because in the call, Maribel claims to feel unsafe and says, if anything happens, she will defend herself. So anyway, she calls 911 and they record her and she says that she fears for her life and that basically if she has to defend herself, she's going to hurt this person. And it's weird because she's not necessarily saying I'm, a, I'm fearful for my life as much as she's like, this person is really like out of line and if I have to do something drastic, I might kill this person. Does she identify who she's talking okay. about? Okay. She does. But it's really unusual for 911 operators to hear somebody say they're going to kill yeah. someone. Usually they get a call like after somebody has done something, right? And no one has necessarily done anything yet, but Maribel is saying, I'm very uncomfortable, and if I have to do something to this person, you here's the information. But she's you not will like know. asking for help. She's just like declaring no. this. She just kind of wanted to get it okay. on record. Right. She wants it to be recorded that this is going on. But who and what Maribel is concerned about is obviously pretty vague at this point. And although she does say this person's name, she doesn't necessarily specify why. She doesn't really give reasons behind it. <clears throat> but anyway, um, police decide to sit down with Maribel's roommate, Casey Joy, to see if maybe he's heard something. And since the 55-year-old chemist was known to be her friend as well as her roommate, they're hoping maybe he has some kind of confidence with her or she had confided him in him with what was going on. Casey Joy seems appropriately upset, and he's saying that Maribel was his family. Okay. Since he'd moved to Southern California from Tennessee, he had no family in the area and not very many friends. And Maribel often included him in her plans. And she even let him tutor her niece in math. And by all accounts, they had a really strong friendship. He was nice, respectful, etc. He knew her family. Obviously, he had her sister's phone number. Right. He's texting her sister, right? And friends and family um, all have seen pictures of the two. And there's a lot of pictures online of them well as well and they'd even been on a cruise together uh, so these two friends even though he was 20 years her senior um seemed to have an amazing time together and they joke a lot and they they just you see the pictures of them and they don't necessarily look like a couple but they just look like they're having a really fun time i was gonna say it feels like we're getting into unrequited love territory here we will see yeah so Casey claimed to have last seen Maribel Thursday, May 2nd, around 9 p.m. in 2013. Again, that's that night that she had gone to pay the rent. And this is where things get a little weird. Police had stopped by the next night after she was reported missing and Casey wasn't there. He claims he was so worried that he'd started his own investigation into Maribel's disappearance. 
He parked his car in the front of the building and said he was watching his own front door with binoculars, sitting with kind of a notebook and listening and watching to see who would come to his front door. Doesn't that seem super weird? Why would he have reason to think somebody would come to his front door? I don't know. It's creepy and weird. Yeah. But police say this isn't super unusual. As weird as that sounds. It seems unusual, but the police say this isn't super unusual. So... Casey Joy had some suspicious injuries, though. Okay. He had scratches on his arms and his forehead. Lots of them. And he made no move to hide them from police. He's wearing, like, shorts and a short sleeve shirt. And when the police ask ask him about the scratches, he says they're from going to the park and attempting to untangle fishing lines in the park while walking the dogs. So he sees fishing line and he's worried about the ducks. And he tries to untangle this fishing line from the bushes so that he can save the ducks. With his forehead? Weird. Yeah. Okay. His forehead and arms. And police are like, yeah, no. They say these scratches are deep. He's got some on his right bicep that look like fingernail scratches. Mm. No way could that be scratches from a little bush. Right. right. Then they ask Casey if he's been in any recent arguments with Maribel. And Casey admits that they'd argued about the rent because Casey lost his job recently. And Maribel had asked him to move out because he couldn't pay the rent. Sure. So you can't pay the rent. You got to go. She's she's not trying to run a charity case. I don't care if you're my friend. If you can't contribute financially, you got to go. But then police look back to that 911 call and the transcripts from a few weeks before. And they find that Maribel had been calling about Casey Joy. So that 911 call, she was like, I'm going to beat his ass. (laughs) This is what's going to happen. He's creeping me out. I can't, you know, if I have to defend myself, I'm going to kill him. Basically. Evidently, the two had been drinking and they'd gotten into a huge argument. And Casey claimed that it all been a big misunderstanding that, you know, we were drinking. Things got out of hand. It's all a misunderstanding. Yeah. As you do. Right. He also admitted that some of it was Maribel saying she didn't like him as anything more than a friend and wasn't attracted to him. Starting to get a little suspicion going on here. This is a set of major warning bells to the police, especially when Maribel's family recalls that Casey had expressed feelings for Maribel on several occasions and she had rebuffed him. Everyone thought that he just had this little crush on her and, in fact, he was in love with her. And her family had cautioned him and told him to move on when he'd called about her sister to cry on. Oh, my gosh. He called her sister to cry on her shoulder about how much he loved her. Yeah. So her sister is like, no, dude, move on. Maribel is not for you. This is not going to work. You got to go. And she was realistic about it. No one was mean to him. Right. But they were just like, hey, this isn't going to work. Like, move on. Find, you know, you're a great guy. You're smart. You're fun. Right. You're going to find somebody. Just, it's not Maribel. Trust me, it's not Maribel. All right. But Casey openly answers police questions, and he doesn't request a lawyer. Um, and there's no sign right. that an actual crime happened at the house. They just can't find any signs that anything bad happened. There's no blood. There's no DNA. There's no fingerprints. There's no clues. And they're kind of analyzing the cell phone data to look for patterns, to look for something that might be able to give them some indication of what happened to Maribel. She could not have just disappeared into thin air, right? The 
police then go back to the men that she dated one more time. They look at the cell phone data with that and they remove all these guys from the suspect list again. They all had alibis that were rock solid. The phones, that kind of cell phone data okay. doesn't back up any kind of connection to this. Then they go back to Casey Joy and they ask him more questions without a lawyer. Again, at yeah. no point in this is he saying, I need a lawyer, right? He's just talking. Jovial, confidently, relaxed, calm. Then the police decide to put a trail on him 24 hours a day because something yeah. just doesn't seem right to them, right? They notice he's spending large amounts of time in the nearby public library working okay. with the computers, right? The police, the police mm -hmm. had taken his phone and Maribel's computer, which he was using most of the time, as part of the investigation. And so they didn't think it was all that strange that he'd gone to a different location to use a computer. Well, so and he, he also lost his job, too. His, so. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, and he's, you know, doing job hunts and things like that, which don't seem suspicious to them. But undercover officers go in and they watch him. They watch his movements. They watch everything that he's doing and they notice kind of by looking over his shoulder that he's Googling, can a cell phone be tracked after it's turned off? Hmm. So bing, bing, bing. They need to see yeah. exactly what he's doing in the public library on that computer. And if he's confident enough to be looking at cell phone yeah. evidence details, like what else is he doing? What else is he hiding? So they get a search warrant. So they can watch him real time and track what he's doing on that computer in the library, which is somewhat unusual. I don't think that that's something that is normally done. And I don't think that it's something that was really done all that much before then. So, you yeah. know, these officers are really on their stuff when they're figuring out how to do that. And Casey basically checks his email. He applies for jobs. And then he's asking random suspicious questions like, how long does it take a body to decay? Um... <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's not suspicious I'm not at all. I'm going to pretend like I haven't looked that up, but then never after somebody's gone missing. I mean, <laughs> but still. Yeah. Yeah. Not not in those circumstances. Then Casey looks at a Facebook page for Maribel and zooms in on a map of a nearby park where a okay. vigil is being scheduled for her. Then he pans out and moves over by like eight to 10 miles to an isolated area. The police hadn't considered this area previously and he zooms in on a really distinctive tree in a remote canyon. Yeah. Never a good Yeah, sign, why right? is he even looking like, at why that? Why would like, he do that's that? Just, what purpose would I that I mean, I know serve? why he's looking at it, but like, why would you, like, why would you do that? That's not very... Like we know, yeah. killers usually return to the scene of the crime, right? And in this instance, <laughs> you don't have to do it in person anymore. You can do it electronically. So they head to the spot on the map, the police do. And simultaneously, they're discovering more and more evidence that Casey was obsessed with Maribel oh Ramos. Dun, dun, dun. So they have documented evidence that Casey had made a move for Maribel, and she responded, probably just by being polite, yeah. but... She told him he was too old for her. I mean, in the kind of grand scheme, like she, she was probably, you know, trying to tell him that he wasn't yeah. a type at all, but was like, that's the nice, yeah. nicest thing you could say. You know, you're a little too old for me, right? Instead of being like, no, I'm not attracted to you at all. She yeah. was like, no, you're too old for me. Then, this is the weird part. What? He goes and gets a facelift. 
He spends twelve thousand dollars so that he Where can look he have better and younger. Trying to like be like yeah, but he, he was a chemist. Rent. He had a good job at one point. Oh, he got no, but that job. was before this whole thing. Before he lost his job, yeah, he got the face. No, up. before he lost his job, he'd made a play for her. She told him he was too old, so she oh. got class- he got went and got okay. plastic surgery. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. And that was before all this went down. Like she's like telling him over and over again, "You're not my so type. You're not my type. This isn't gonna happen." Him, he got and he, he goes and gets this. Left. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah and that's not it's just weird. Like, who does that? Um, yeah. Anyway. So in the meantime, though, police are carefully examining the area that Casey mm-hmm. had looked at on the map at the library. And they're combing through this Majeska Canyon, southeast of the city of Orange. The area is super remote and quiet, and it's pretty rural. There's no hikers or mountain bikers in that area. No one would have a mm-hmm. reason to be in that area unless it was something shady. They narrow down the area by an intersection and that distinctive tree, and they go past a barbed wire fence through brush, and suddenly they start to smell the odor of decaying flesh or something dead, which, again, never a good sign. There in a shallow grave was Maribel Ramos' body, which is just so incredibly sad. This leaves no doubt that the suspect, Casey Joy, was guilty. Casey, though, is continuing to deny, even after this, that he was involved in any way in this. But they arrest him and charge him with Maribel's murder. He was even wearing Maribel's dog tags when they arrested him. That is so creepy. How freaking creepy is that? That that, like, symbol of her service to her country, and it's such a personal thing. And that creeper was wearing that when they took him in. Yeah. it just makes your skin crawl because you know yeah. damn well Maribel would never, Ugh. ever give him her dog tags in a million years. And he basically pleaded not guilty to all the charges. July 2014, one year later, Casey went on trial. The evidence, though, was not mm-hmm. as much of a slam dunk as you would think it was because there was no DNA, no blood, no cell phone tracking information. Nothing tying this guy to the murder crime scene. No weapon other than that internet search of the library. Casey stood by his claims that he was completely innocent and even claimed someone had framed him by remotely accessing the library computer. So he's saying, I didn't even do that. Somebody remotely accessed this computer and did that to frame me. I mean, it's worth a shot trying because it's a public library. (laughs) So it's worth a shot. Well, yeah, but I mean... Mm, the jury found him guilty. Of your options. <laughs> they were like, I mean, Bye-bye. that's one of the better ones. They, yeah. That's why Definitely. they only got... They got a second degree murder conviction. Yeah. And that's why they didn't get the first degree because they probably were like, okay, we've yeah. got it. We got to realize we don't have the super strong case. We want to get what we can get. Put this guy away and let it go. But even after his conviction, Casey continued to insist that they were only friends and mm. he'd never had feelings for Maribel beyond friendship. He said he was never in love with her, and he never told Maribel's sister that he was in love with her. Yeah. So he denied everything, even though like everybody was like, no, no, <laughs> this was a thing. This, this happened. Um, Casey Joy was sentenced to 15 years to life. Ugh. He will be eligible for parole yes. in 2024. Isn't that super creepy? 
Um, Maribel Ramos graduated posthumously oh. from Cal State Fullerton, and her niece Giselle walked for her aunt and received her diploma, which yeah. is like a super sad but sweet yeah. ending to it. Like she got that degree, which was like she had worked so hard for yeah. and like sacrificed so much to get where yeah. she was, and she had done everything right. And this creeper just ended her life just like that. I, uh, I'm kind of confused just about incredible. the whole 911 call thing, though. I mean, I'm not confused about, like, the fact that it happened. I'm just confused that she would call 911 instead of, like, telling her family first. Like, that seems like an extreme step. If you're not telling your family, like, this guy's really creeping me out. I don't like the situation I'm in. And you just you don't say anything to your loved ones, your close friends, family, and then you just call 911. Like, that's kind of weird. Hi, Orange Boy. Hi. It's not an emergency, but I just, um, is it recording? Is there a what? Is this conversation recording? Yes, every conversation is recorded. I'm just, like, calling to let you guys know that if something happens, I did it because I was trying to defend myself. All I'm trying to say is that I'm warning. Um, honestly, I will fight for my life, and I swear I will, I will kill him. It sounds like she's crying, too. Yeah. She's like upset. Like, I don't, and I think that's like uh, when they got into that argument um, where the right. police came and he said they were just, they were drinking and it was just a misunderstanding. So I think that yeah. was after they got into that argument and she wanted him to leave and she called the police and was like, I mean, that's the smart on. thing to do, knowing that they're going to record that call. I mean, it's yeah. a really smart thing to do. It just strikes me as odd that that was her first instinct as opposed to like telling your friends and family. And I'm not sure that her friends and family knew anything about that argument that yeah. they had. Um, yeah. But it's interesting because they knew a lot of other details about this guy. Like they had embraced him as a family member. So right. it's like, holy moly, like they took you in. They made you yeah. part of their family. You had access to her most personal, private. Well, and like, that probably didn't help his like delusion that that she could that they could be together because he's like, I'm already part of your family, so of course you would want to be with me, probably. You know what I mean? He's like super his unrealistic creepy. expectations. Yeah. Like if you look at pictures of him online, it's like well, it's super super creepy. So I found this case interesting. Number one, because it's this minority woman, and then the killer was also a minority. So it's like. You don't often hear cases about killers that are Asian. Besides oh, I didn't know he's Jennifer Asian. Pan. Okay. He's an Asian man. Yeah. So it's just super interesting. And I think that because women of color don't get a lot of coverage, like I also found this was interesting that she got as much media coverage and, and whatnot as she did. So yeah, it's probably I because wanted... of her actions because she did call 911. Yeah. That really is really smart. Yeah. So, but it's interesting. And she was such, she sounds like she was such an incredible woman. And it just seems so tragic that, you know, her life would be lost in yeah. such a fashion by that creeper who was obsessed with her. And it's like, Ugh. she didn't really give him, I mean, that we know of any reason to like have these illusions. He just was clearly mentally ill. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's usually not because somebody's like showing interest in you you've you've created something in your mind and that no like no reason or no logic can kind of combat that at that point i think 
And she was totally just being nice and like yeah. embracing him as a family member. And then he did that. So awful. Interesting case. But anything else you want to add before we wrap up the show for the night? I don't have anything else to add. We're actually making it a short episode for the evening since both of us are not feeling well. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. Social media, Darcy? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on um, Twitter and Instagram. So we'll post pictures and show notes and all that good stuff there too. Awesome. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.